Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Small Talk No More. My name is Alex and today I've got with me Dominic Bastera from Wake the Town. And welcome, Dom. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So would you like to kick it off and just, you know, do a quick introduction, tell us who Dominic is and what your experience is? Sure thing. So yeah, my name's Dom Bastera. Uh, I'm a music supervisor. I've been a music supervisor for about 17 years. Um, I've always worked in music. Uh, previously, I was uh, A&R, um, mm-hmm. had my record label, um, worked at Island Records, uh, did management for many years, and I stumbled across working in music supervision mm-hmm. with no clear plan or strategy to get into it. But um, it's been a really interesting ride. Cool. Okay. So, um, you know, we usually start the show with Q- quick Q&A. So I've got a couple of questions here ready for you so if you're ready let's crack on great cool so starting with what's your favorite song or album i think this is perennially the hardest question you can (laughs) ever ask anyone in music yeah uh i don't think and i think everyone would probably say the same quite boring answer to you but i don't think i can ever give you like one definitive song or album i break it down to like moments in time that are important to me Mm mm-hmm uh, so I could easily say John Martin Solid Air for one moment. I could easily say Bob O'Shanti Sizzler or Infamous Mob Deep or Joni Mitchell Blue or Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Yeah. Like it's just moments of time and powerful pieces mm-hmm. that really affect me in different ways and at the particular mood I'm in yeah. at that particular moment. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so let's move on then with uh, what's your favorite superhero? So really, I was thinking about this, <laughs> of my favorite superhero, I, I could easily say like, oh, I like the Punisher or <laughs> I like her. <laughs> I, but I, I'm going to say it slightly off key. My favorite superhero is Quincy Jones, because oh, I believe right. he is actually a living superhero. Nice. Uh, like in music terms, someone that d- did what he did yeah. and has done what he has done to me is a superhero from the classically trained score experience he had in France in like, mm. I guess in the fifties and sixties, yep. maybe sixties more uh, to what he's done in pop music, to what he's done in fusion and jazz to, to everything. And mm-hmm. he is a superhero in my eyes. Yeah. No, that's actually a really interesting answer to be honest. Um, and I did not expect that. I, I, I do, I do think that's a brilliant, brilliant point. Um, I'm, you know, I, I I think that I learned a lot more about what he was, what he did, in more detail with this documentary that it's on Netflix about his life. Uh, have you Have you watched that? I, I I did watch that, but actually the the thing that made me more aware because I you know I just knew Quincy Jones from like the eighties and nineties yeah. as like Michael Jackson's yeah, you know producer and all of the amazing things he did. But I actually got given his autobiography about fifteen years ago. And honestly, it's probably one of the most life-affirming reads if you're a music lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, his journey from like a 14, 13, 14-year-old 14 in the, you know, the jazz scene and like being able to get into those bands yeah. that were ruthless 
uh, to then taking the chance as like a black man in the fifth, I think it's the fifties. I want to fact check myself there, (laughs) but to go to Paris and learn classical composition under this amazing woman. Mm -hmm. And then all the TV and schoolwork he did for Hollywood. Yeah. Like he broke boundaries and boundaries and boundaries before even breaking boundaries with Thriller and working with soul and pop Mm -hmm. in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Like the guy is genuinely a musical living legend. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cool. Okay. So let's, let's, let's move it on and um, tell me what's your least favorite sport and why? Um, My least favorite sport is probably F1. Okay. Which is quite ironic because I've done like <laughs> massive music deals uh, for, well, one massive music deal for them. But I mean, I guess I'm not really like a big motorsports dude. Okay, cool. Fair enough. Uh, and then between time, money and music, you get to keep two and then the other one you cannot have. Which one would that be? I think this is probably pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I think money and time. Sorry, music and time, <laughs> not money and time. The, 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 tr- Sorry, the truth is well. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely not. It's yeah. uh, music all the way. Like, what what have you got without music, man? Yeah. Um, so music and time, and then money comes third. Yeah. I mean, you did mention this last time as well that we spoke. You said music is not a job, it's a lifestyle. So 100%. Get it, get it, We're get incredibly it, lucky. Yeah, getting rid of that is like getting rid of your entire lifestyle. If Honestly, if I didn't get to work with music every day, I don't know what I'd do. Like, no matter what the situation, and yes, you can be in stressful situations wherever you do. We're not, look, but we're not doctors, right? Yeah. But like the ability to be able to put on a piece of music and just change your whole outlook on something, mm-hmm. or bring you peace, or whatever it is, is just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely, I feel very lucky to be involved in music. Um, okay, so in that journey. Um, of, you know, being involved in music. Um, who's someone that you trust that has been throughout that journey? I think this is a really good question. I think I've got some really good relationships. Uh, I think my business partners, uh, we're all incredibly different. But I think the one thing that binds me with them is that their moral compasses and I trust them all. Yep. They're good human beings. Uh, I think I've got some relationships with people I've worked with in music that I absolutely trust. It's a very difficult business to say this because it is incredibly cutthroat and it is very hard because it's the perfect, the professional and the personal, like the lifestyle thing is blurred. So it can be very difficult and people can be your best friend one minute and fall out the next, right? That's music. But I've, I feel like I've got a couple of, manager friends that like i'm very very close with and trust implicitly Mm -hmm. okay um and then also you you told me that you started your music journey very very early with your first um internship when you were like 17 18 yeah i think i was actually like 16 16 there we go so if you if you had a conversation with your 16 year old right now what would be a piece of advice that you would give yourself uh, it, it, this this is I think the most amazing question. What advice I'd give myself? I don't think I would give myself any other advice than just soak it all in. 
enjoy it. Okay. I don't think at that age you really understand the place you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really lucky enough to work at Talking Loud. I mean, you know, two weeks work experience. Yeah. You know, Giles Peterson called me into his office and had a chat with me and played me some records. Like, unbelievable. Like, same age I went and did work experience for a week at Ultimate Dilemma. And that was Max Lusada, his first ever record album. This guy is like now the worldwide music president of Warner. And this guy, I was sitting in a cupboard with him and his best mate who in Whitechapel who had put out their first four 12 inches. And I'm like, just listening to them talking. I mean, I did know at the time, I was like, this is where I want to be. This is the job I want to do. So I did, didn't need to give that 16 year old any more advice, but just maybe the appreciate it, Mm -hmm. really appreciate it because I was incredibly lucky to get those two opportunities. Cool. Wow, that's actually quite quite inspirational, man. I think that that's really, really nice. And um, I just have one last question for you, which is what is the best thing about being a music supervisor? I guess I've kind of already said it, just being involved with music every day. Yeah. Being able to listen to music and just enjoy and, and be paid to listen to music, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're not paid to listen to music, obviously. There's a lot other involved, but to be able to have your job that's involved with music every day is just an absolute blessing. Yeah. And I'm very lucky. I remember you mentioned your background as um, A&R. Mm-hmm. And so are you finding that essentially you are an A&R for composers and writers? Yeah, it's just a different role because when you're doing A&R for your own label or in a record company yep you have a very defined role within that and it starts at that point and then it will end at that point and you hand over the stuff to other people mm-hmm. i mean the more senior you get the obviously the more involved and it becomes more of a like a, a very much a relationship and part of like a very senior part of a team mm-hmm. so you're dealing with a lot of just the artist needs and wants aside from just the music yeah. um, kind of extension of management in some ways and managing the politic and the relationships within the label on behalf of that artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with supervision, it's it, it, the A&R aspect is yeah. The relationship with your composer, uh, the relationship um when you're working on crafting a piece of music, Mm. ultimately like it's always going to be deferential. I'm not a master craftsman in music. I'm an opinion. I've got an opinion Mm -hmm. and who's to say my opinion is that much better than anyone else's. I'm there as an objective ear as the audience. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt that way, whether I'm doing A&R for records or A&R for supervision, like, I'm always going to defer to the musician. The musician is my director Mm -hmm. and we're going to discuss and I'm just there to bounce ideas off. Hopefully I've got a little bit more of um, experience that can be beneficial in the way I hear music. I'm not just the lay person on the street that's coming in and giving an opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But fundamentally 
it, it's about helping a musician find the right answer in the path, not telling them what to do. Mm. That's actually really interesting, you know, um, because at the end of the day, you do have that, yeah, like that producer role, right? You've got a very creative involvement in the whole process. So are you are you finding as well that the same way that you need to, you know, deal with a client uh, very closely and in some form or shape, educate them a bit? Do you find that you're doing as well that for the composers that you're working with? Yeah, you're the bridge, right? You're mixing oil and water. Like music and brands are totally different languages. Mm. Whether it's supervision in licensing or supervision in composition, it's the same beast. It's like you're 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 bringing people that don't understand the language of music to this majority on the most part yep. some very you know some you get really good directors and really good creatives that and sometimes very rarely clients that really understand music they might be trained in music or they might have just had loads of experience and really know what they want mm-hmm. um and that conversation can often be the best but most of the time you're dealing with adjectives and feelings and people that find it very hard to articulate. And you, our job is to translate, help manage that bridge. Yep. Um, and and it, it's equal on both sides because a lot of the time my work, when you're working with a musician who knows the right answer musically, right? And has said, hang on a minute, they have told me to do this, this, and this. This is exactly what I've done. I can explain what I've done to achieve what they've asked for and now they're saying something completely different Mm. or multiple people are saying different things to us because that's what happens because so many people in the chain yeah so yeah there's a large proportion of just like helping and managing and making the composer musician feel heard Mm -hmm. because it can be a frustrating situation yeah um so yeah, the bridge the bridge is the best way to describe it. The translator, the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you're wanting to make both parties happy every time. Yeah, fair enough. And so, um, a quick question is: What sort of clients are you dealing with the most? Is it more uh, advertising companies or film, TV? The majority of our work is advertising brands, yep. but we have TV studio clients now, production company clients and more in TV, and we are doing film work. It's just a, a very, it's very different. Yeah. But the majority in, you know, our level of expertise from the get-go has always been in um, advertising because the four partners that started the business, we all started in-house at ad agencies mm-hmm. uh, in this sync career. So we left the music industry and went in-house mm. at agencies and so and so which one <clears throat> which one do you find more enjoyable is there any process you know like you mentioned it's different right it's different working for doing a project for an ad or a um you know tv production so which one do you find this more enjoyable um it, look, it completely depends on the project and the people involved i actually think a lot large proportion of this is about people mm. because you can work on a project that musically 
because look, it's also a job, right? Yeah. So musically, it's like, I'm really not into this genre or I'm really not into this creative, um, but I'm still wanting to do the best job I can do yeah. and make sure that we deliver, uh, deliver very good work. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that aspect, it's about the people you're working with. Mm-hmm. So you can equally, you can work on a job where you're like, this is my music. I know what I can bring to the table. My experience, my area of expertise will make this better. Yeah. And that's not said with arrogance. That's just said with experience and confidence. Like, and I can see that script and I can really connect with it and I can understand the music. But if the people working on that are tricky or difficult, it can make it incredibly unenjoyable and not, and you can't end up doing your best work. So Mm. every single situation, every job, whether it's the TV or the advertising work Mm -hmm. is completely different. And there's a million variables that affect it. Okay. And so how easy or difficult is it to enter a new sector? Being, you know, you guys started off with um, advertising and, um, you know, from multiple conversations that I've had, it seems to be that it's, it's more of a complicated process trying to branch out to film and TV. So from your experience, what, it, how difficult or easy it is to branch out to those different clients? It's not, it's not straightforward. No, they are different disciplines and way of working is very different. Um, I think that it's about, um, you can't just jump in and say, I'm a music supervisor and I can do games or I'm a music supervisor and I can do film. You, you had to have had experience. And like, I guess at the very beginning of all of our careers, when different projects came in, you have to jump in at the deep end and learn. Yep, And I think that with any staff that join our company, it's like, it's learn on the job. And the four directors, we might have done this for many, many years, but we're still learning as well mm-hmm. from different experiences. So in answer to your question, sorry to waffle, like it's not straightforward to jump across into the different sectors. Yep. Um, they are very different disciplines and you have to work in a very different way. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, the question was because obviously there's been a huge um, boom on video game music. And that is something that a lot of labels, musicians, composers are trying to jump into. So um, do you think that that door is really difficult to open? Or do you think just because there's more demand, there's going to be more opportunity? It's hard to say. I mean, computer games is the one area that's like we don't touch on as a business. And it's, it's, it's still, where there's a boom in it, it's still very, very niche. And, you know, like on the guild, there's one specific uh, member of the team that's just the computer games guy. Yeah. Whereas there's probably like eight of us in ads, seven or eight in TV, three or four or five in film, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, it's very hard to answer that question. I mean, I know a composer that, specializes in that Mm -hmm. but does some ad work with us so i would get any of my information in that from that composer the composer that would know Mm -hmm. how it all works but it's not something we're naturally looking to get into yeah no fair enough um and then you know talking about composers do you do you think 
that for the sort of work that you're doing, um, it is it better to work with composers, you know, those that are experts in composition, or do you think that uh, songwriters and producers also have that opportunity to write music to breathe? Um, it can come from anywhere. Hmm. And I think it's dependent on the personality and the experience of that com particular uh, composer, songwriter, artist. Hmm. Some songwriter, artists, producers don't have the right... Um, right personality to be able to handle working in that way for clients yep. as in you know you're a service to this person you're delivering music for a, a, a for a need for the visual and it can be very frustrating for them yep. um, and they don't want to work in that capacity in in their art mm -hmm. which is totally understandable and then there's others that like no i really like this discipline and i really like working in a different capacity like i can i can like put my art in one place in my brain and i can put the music for the job in the other place yep. and i can be thick-skinned i can be patient uh and i don't mind working this way i think the real sweet spot for me is and what we're always looking for with um new talent we work with is people that do both and aren't just doing composition for branded projects, but have the outlet for art, which is very important for us. Yep. And they can bring, and that brings different ideas, different experiences to the music. So we're always looking for the best creative solution and finding talent that have got different ideas. I think the balance for us is the relationship and managing that, once you're in the job with us on the composition, you're in the job. Yeah. Like you can't disappear. You can't go, Oh, sorry, I'm in a session for two days with this particular artist. It happens. We know, but it's like, unfortunately when you're in a, especially with the ad stuff, the deadlines are so quick and yeah. so tight that you just need people that can go, okay, I've compartmentalized this and I'm in this now. Mm -hmm. And once I've finished this and it's locked, then I can go back to doing my art for a bit and then I might jump back into this. That's, that's the perfect case scenario for yeah. us. So it's about time management at the end of the day. Yeah. Time management and just, which is not necessarily something that goes hand in hand with musicians. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's why there's like a certain breed of people that w like are the real sweet spot for doing ad composition yeah. for us. Mm -hmm. And so do you think that's one of the tick boxes Someone needs to to be able to um, to match to to work on with you guys. Yeah, I think day to day, it's not like there's no hard and fast rule with any of this stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if a client wants to work with the top top Hollywood A list of composers, we can do that too. Yep. It's just doing it in a different way. Uh, if the client wants to work with a particular famous artist to do a re-record or a famous artist to do a particular composition because they like that, then again, it's a different process mm -hmm. and you have to bend more to them. But day to day for composition, when a client's going on a job, then for us, you find that person that's creatively excellent mm -hmm. and treats it 
very professionally like a job with time management, yeah. et cetera. Okay. Um, so it's really interesting that you mentioned in the, you know, the potential client asking you for a less composer. And um, I actually would like to understand that a bit better just because I've spoken to a few other supervisors that I know and the feedback generally has been that the work coming in has been more for library uh, music. And, you know, it's music supervision companies that they obviously do the supervision, but also have their own, uh, you know, library catalog. And it seems to be that the budgets have been going lower and lower and lower and lower. So how, is that your experience as well? What, what, what do you think that? I think, yeah, I, I definitely feel like throughout the years, there was more jobs that I was approached to when, to go and find huge talent to do that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, in composition, that is. They're always the rarer jobs. Like for a client to work with, with huge talent, like a Hollywood composer or like a famous band yeah. or a famous artist, especially the Americans, to create a piece of music is like a huge undertaking and it's just another added complication to already a complex production, right? Yeah. And you need the budget. Um, so over the last few years, I've certainly seen those projects be fewer and far between for sure. Mm. Um, that, that being, but to answer your point, on on the budgets going down yes i've seen in the last few years a a, a skew to more budgets that are library level i've seen content productions increase mm. but budgets go down yeah and it is a delicate balance because you're fighting creative then yeah because you you're always answering the question from the director creative director creatives or editors going we don't want to use library music yeah we want something scored for our picture and the balance between the client saying we only want to spend this money and the producer trying to balance budgets unfortunately in our world music is often the afterthought even though it's 50 percent of the job always is and we we're the people that get squeezed yeah you know so um a lot of what we do is trying to find clever solutions for our artists, mm -hmm. for our clients, but not at the expense of the talent and the artist. Yeah. Like very, very rarely will I take on jobs that are below market rate. Yeah. And, uh, and that's massive favors. And it'd be a massive favor for a particular composer to do that job. Mm -hmm. Our job is to protect the value of music as well. Yeah. Right. Do you think that that would be solved if the production house brought you guys in the process a bit earlier on? Instead of thinking about the music after filming, it's more about let's get a supervisor on board to help us plan ahead. Is that, do you think that that will be a solution? In some in some cases, absolutely. But it's about protecting the budget for music and bear in mind, production companies are trying to make their percentage on the entire job. Yeah. And there's so many variables and factors in any production that just suddenly, oh, that is going to cost me that. That's going to cost me that. that. So they're just trying to find ways to save money and protect their own profits. Mm -hmm. And sadly, you know, music is part of the end. And post-production is post-production. You're not going to get one of the top companies that the creatives and the directors want to work with suddenly giving 
huge reductions in flame or grading or you know sound yeah um so it, it often goes to the music supervisor going right we only have this amount of budget and there's billions and billions of song options in the planet yeah. so you know can't afford that someone will be there that will do it you know you know audio networks exists yeah and they undercut production libraries which is i think i mean that's for another whole podcast yeah. i guess but <laughs> you know i think the f- absolute flaw is production music library yeah uh but my world sits above that in terms of cost because you're asking someone to dedicate time to work and do something yeah um, rather than have something that's already pre-existed yeah absolutely um one of my uh, friends who was in music supervi- uh, supervision said that you can trick the eye, but you cannot trick the ear. Meaning that that's a really lovely point. Yeah, yeah. So if the visual look like shit, then that could it could be intentional. It could be the fact that the creative was aimed to be that. Now, if the audio is bad, you straight away can say it. You can tell straight away when a particular song is bad not just um on the technical side on the mix and the master but just the actual composition just doesn't fit and it's um it's really interesting that the fact that a lot of these companies would go to uh production music just for the sake of saving up money so do you think that there's a lack of education do you think that in these production houses there's a lack of musical education or at least uh, you know basic knowledge as to how important it is to get the right music that would fit the visual i i think it goes to the last point i think it's capitalism i think it's about protecting profits i think there is you can try and educate people but some people just don't care yeah it's about getting a job out the door yeah and you're totally right like I love that comment from your friend, the supervisor, like you cannot trick the ear. Yeah. I mean, in some, in some instances there is briefs that like they're wanting a terrible piece of music. They'll want the crazy frog because they want the annoying, they want yeah. the annoying earworm. That's going to just be like, it will stick out in the ad break. Mm. Oh my God. And then there's amazing recall. Thankfully those are few and far between, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you can definitely tell the lazy, uh, music is an afterthought projects and it's yeah it's just not i i don't think any w- way of re you can try and educate mm-hmm. but it's always going to come down to the clients who are pushing and are paying and wanting to do what they want to do mm-hmm. so you'd hope that there's a respect and an understanding of the craft that goes across everything mm-hmm. in a project and music isn't impacted yeah because you're right you can spend hundreds of thousands on a project and then if you put the wrong piece of music on it it can make it feel super cheap yeah yeah absolutely and so um do you think then that that is one of the key limitations for growing the business the fact that um yeah just the fact that there's um that the, the way that uh, production houses think about music is more about the how much it's going to be instead of how good is it going to be. So do you think that that is one of the key limitations? 
Um, key limitations to growing the business, I don't know. Mm. Uh, a limitation to creativity, yes. Okay. Um, but, I mean, on a positive, I feel that the majority of our clients that work with us as a whole know the value and understanding of music because you're working ideally with very good directors and very good creative directors that are wanting the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there's always jobs you're working on where they're like the budget squeezed and you're trying to find solutions. And it's always the, the difficult for, for us is like the hardest jobs to work on and the, the smallest budgets because a lot of the time the creatives and the directors don't want to compromise on the quality. So I've just finished a job this week where a client of mine is like, look, I've got absolutely zero budget here to do this. And you know you're going to take it on and you know it's going to be more work than the thing with huge budget. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a million and one recalls. But I think the people we work with also understand these. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're upfront and clear with the people you're working with, uh, and there's some empathy from your client who's asked you the favor it's just part of the part of the gig yeah Tom let's just wrap it up with uh, a bit of advice so uh, from your point of view what would be your top tip for composers and music makers uh, the top what top tip for composers and music makers that want to get into ads mm-hmm. um, I think perseverance okay I think thick skin, I think patience, I think um, working on relationships with supervisors, hmm. and um, that that's mostly it. I think once you've got an opportunity to work with someone, it's also really important, this is advice I give to composers that I work with that come to us, that are friends that are trying to move into it, or you also have to feel comfortable with who you're working with. Yeah. Like when you start a new job, when you find a new composer, it's like, it's always the start of a new relationship, right? Mm-hmm. But it goes both ways. You have to feel that the person you're working with is representing you correctly, giving you the right advice, feedback, and equally, um, the, from a music per, uh, supervisor's perspective, you need to feel that you've got someone that you can trust, you can rely on, that's handling the pressure, that's delivering to the changes you are acquiring and goes on the journey with you. You're a team, right? Mm-hmm. And you're my musical director and I'm your producer. Cool. Well, thank you so much, um, Dominic, for um, all this insight. And um, yeah, you know, look forward to to hopefully seeing you in person uh, as soon as uh, it's possible, of course. Yeah, you too, Alex. Nice one. Cool. 